important this is Adiket and I host the evening show on 94.3 Radio 1 and me along with Fabian sir getting you politics for dummies where we understand politics then and now we understand politics right and left so what are you waiting for put on your headphones and strap on because you are gonna have a ride of your life welcome joining us today is Mr. Fabian Alright, welcome back to the fourth episode of Politics for Dummies and uh, today it's a special episode because none of us, uh, nor the producer, nor the host, nor the expert are in the same room. We might be in the same Zoom room, but not physically, thanks to the number of cases that have grown exponentially in our country. But nonetheless, this doesn't stop us from learning and this doesn't stop us from educating everybody. Joining me is uh, Mr. Fabian, aka our professor. Now, Professor Fabian, let's start with this. Where exactly are you? Where are you traveling to? I'm in Chandigarh. You know, it's a bright uh, forenoon here, uh, or rather afternoon almost. So for Fabian, he's looking at the brighter side and he says things are looking better. But since uh, we uh, we are in different places and we don't really have that going back and forth. We're going to take a free period today. And today on this free period, what we're going to do, we're going to discuss a couple of things. And uh, today's episode is more like learning Professor Fabian's story. So that's what we're going to do. So Professor Fabian, this is something very personal, I am assuming, because you were there to witness this. But uh, before we can actually get to the main topic for the day, let's talk about wars in general. And its effects uh, on politics. So um, the first thing, what exactly is a war? What happens before the war, during the war and after the war? Well, uh, I hate all wars. And war is, uh, I would say, organized killing. And when it is between states, it's called war. When it is within a state, it can also be called a civil war. But whatever it be, I hate all wars in principle. But there have been wars in history which have been justified, which have been necessary, and which have contributed to a better world. Very few wars, but there have been wars like that. But let us hope that uh, human beings will evolve to an extent where they will stop having wars. All right. All right. So what happens right before the war, during the war, and after the war? Well, if you're asking the abstract question about wars in general, 
it is impossible to answer that question All because right. there are wars and wars. Okay. You know All what right. happened after the First World War is not exactly the same thing which happened after Second World War. True. What happened after the Seven Years' War in Europe is not the same thing as what happened elsewhere. Okay. So we cannot generalize. We have to be All specific. Right. All right. So uh, if we have to be specific about things. that we are kind of discussing today you have been someone who has been in politics you've been uh, a diplomat you've been at various levels at various places throughout your journey and uh, you have experienced things first hand so what was the most memorable moment of a certain war that has been etched into your memory fabian Well, that is the 1971 war for the liberation of Bangladesh, and I was in Vienna. And uh, if I may say so, I was uh, having the same age then as you are now. Oh yes, of course, that is very true. That is very true. A young Fabian watching something unfold right in front of him. Of course, this is something that shall always stay with him. So, what happened in 1971, and what was your first-hand experience like? Okay, let me answer the first question first. All right. As we know, Muhammad Ali Jinnah. wanted to partition india on the basis of religion but as we know india was not partitioned on the basis of religion because if india were partitioned on the basis of religion then all muslims should have been in pakistan correct but that's not sure. what happened there were about uh, 85 to 90 million muslims in the subcontinent and more than 25 million muslims stayed in india in other words india was not divided on the basis of partition point number 1 point number 2 india did not make any distinction between its citizens on the basis of religion hindus were there muslims are there christians are there buddhists are there for independent india it did not make any difference point number 3 mahatma gandhi we call him the father of the nation in india but it was the non violent struggle led by mahatma gandhi which led to the liberation of the subcontinent which includes india pakistan and bangladesh all right so, mahatma gandhi had a significant role in the independence of what is now pakistan and what was then pakistan and later became pakistan and bangladesh and last okay. point jina wanted to divide india on the basis of religion and he had pakistan but religion was not a good enough glue to keep pakistan together so his entire two nation theory was rejected by history and as you know history world history is a world court of justice so that was the first part now the second i was in vienna i was first secretary and we had like other embassies our embassies abroad we had worked very hard i remember once getting a angry phone call 
from my colleague in the American embassy, counselor political. He was senior to me. Fabian, what the hell have you done? So I asked him, what's the matter? Oh, you know that Nancy, his daughter, was staging a dharna in front of the central railway station in Vienna for Bangladesh. Now, I didn't have the heart to tell him that I did not know Nancy because I had gone to the Vienna University and talked to the political science students about Bangladesh. And some of them decided, without my prompting, to go and stage a dharna. His daughter was part of that. Anyway, I explained the matter to him. And then I told him that I will come and see you one of these days, you know, to explain it further. Now, not only that, the second part is, I had a friend in the Pakistan embassy. All right. The secretary, he was junior to me, he was second secretary, but we were very good friends. He was from East Pakistan. He was doing cipher work, you know, the telegrams. And he was good enough to pass on to me a copy of the telegrams that came from Islamabad and telegrams sent by his ambassador to Islamabad. We had access to Pakistan's telegrams, which, of course, very promptly we sent to Delhi. So that was that. Now, another thing which I recall, if I may, yeah. is that uh, once uh, a Pakistani national standing next to me was made to drink four, five, six, seven times for India's victory. What happened was that, uh, you see, the Indian embassy is on one side of the road, and on the other side is the IAEA, International Atomic Energy Agency. Okay. Now, a Soviet official had invited me for cocktails. So I just had to walk across. But as usual, I was late because there was a lot of dictation to do in the embassy. So by the time I landed up, I found that everybody was hosled up, including the host. And he was standing, you know, surrounded by about 15 or 20 people. He at the center, they're forming a sort of an arc. He came and hugged me, almost suffocated me, very tight hug. And then he made me stand next to him, to his right. And he ordered drinks. And he said, let us drink to India's victory. All right. Bring my glass with him. Then I turned uh, to the other side, to my right, and there was a Pakistani scientist whom I knew. He also clinked his glass with me, so he also drank to India's victory. Now, this went on again and again and again, and uh, what I noticed was that the host, he stopped speaking in English. He started saying, India's Gavin, Gavin is German for victory. And after another three rounds of drinks, he said something in Russian. So at some point, I told him, look, I want to propose a toast. Next yeah. round. So when it was my turn, I said, well, I propose a toast to the good health and happiness of our great host. Then I said, second part is friendship among all the countries represented now this beautiful evening. Then yeah. I said, 
the last part, an early end to the war between Pakistan and India, an early re-establishment of good neighborly relations between Pakistan and India. So raise the toast, and my Pakistani friend also was happy to drink the glass this time. Nice. If I have not bored you as yet, I want to tell you about Mrs. Gandhi's visit as Prime Minister, Indira Gandhi's visit to Vienna. On her way to Washington for that historic meeting with President Nixon, a meeting during which there was much coldness, there was no warmth at all. And if I may say so, President Nixon showed his uh, hatred for India and for Indira Gandhi as a person in particular. He used unparliamentary language. He called her a bitch and a witch. Can you imagine that? Between him and Kissinger, his national security advisor. Now, coming to the visit to Vienna, the prime minister left Delhi. She first came to Brussels and then to Vienna. An interesting story because as soon as we heard that the prime minister was coming, my ambassador's wife, Mrs. Trivedi, Vishnu Trivedi was the ambassador. She told me, Fabian, please arrange for a hairdresser for the prime minister because, you know, the prime minister was going to, uh, to the opera, you know, immediately after. That was the first program. So Mrs. Trivedi said, send a message to Mrs. Usha Bhagat. She was the social secretary. Say that we have arranged for a hairdresser for the prime minister. Well, I did that. But Shar came, the rejoinder from Mrs. Usha Bhagat. The prime minister doesn't need a hairdresser when she's abroad. I showed it to Mrs. Trivedi. You know, ladies, they know much better than most men. She told me, Fabian, keep Maria, that was her own hairdresser. Keep Maria in your office room. Let us see. Well, you know, the opera was at 6.30. And at 5.45, I get a call from Mrs. Usha Bhagat. Mr. Fabian, I was wondering whether I could uh, give you some trouble by asking you to find out whether a hairdresser is available for the prime minister. So I told Mrs. Usha Bhagat, I will get back to you in 50 seconds. And I told Maria, who was in my room, walk slowly, reach there in 45 seconds. And then Usha Bhagat called me, oh, thank you, Mr. Fabian, how kind of you. Well, 30 minutes later, Maria, who was very tall, she looked even taller. Why? Because she got an autographed photograph of prime, the prime minister. So that was one side. Another side is that from Delhi, you see, I went to the Hotel Imperial, sat with the chef and prepared the menu with the, the choice of wine going with the menu. Send it to Shabagat. Again, start. No alcohol will be served at the return banquet. Well, again, 
the ambassador, Mrs. Trivedi and I, we put our heads together and we decided that we will still tell the hotel to keep the wine ready, but to serve it only if they get a signal from me. Well, from Brussels, we got a message. Wine may be served, but the prime minister's party will not take it. Now, tell me, how do you do that? How do I tell the Austrian waiter, if you see an Indian face, take the wine away? Anyway, we decided to do nothing. That is, wine will be served. And my attitude was, if the Indian takes it, so be it. Okay. To my great relief, Foreign Secretary T.N. Cole, he was the first one to lift a glass of white wine. You know, those days, it used to be said, Indian foreign policy was one-third protocol, one-third alcohol, and one-third tiki coal. That is how he was known. <laughs> you see? So that was great. Then I had another big problem. You see, we used to have a photographer from the PIB, Public Information Bureau. He had come as part of the Prime Minister's you know, entourage. I had told him 20 times, you know, he should come at 8 o'clock because at 8.10, the Prime Minister will be sort of speaking, you know, making a speech. So he should come at 10 minutes before that. I gave it to him in writing also, but 8 o'clock, no trace of this guy. 8.10, Mrs. Gandhi got up, started her speech. And everybody was looking daggers at Fabian. Where is the photographer? Now, I had to make a choice. I should get up from there and start running around looking for the photographer or respecting the elegant, I mean, formal solemnity of the occasion. I should just sit there. So I sat there and I prayed. Lo and behold, in three minutes, the photographer sailed in. I say sailed in, why? Because I found out later, the Austrians had put a big uh, supply of drinks in his room. You know, that is how state uh, guests are treated. And this guy was testing every bottle. And, you know, he was in that mood. That's why he got late. Anyway, the photographs were excellent. Okay, so Fabian, after that big debacle that we just had okay okay let's continue from the point where we know the story so far that in like the last three minutes the photographer came finally started taking the pictures okay and then what happened when Indira Gandhi was in Vienna well she had a conversation with uh, Chancellor Kreisky and very correctly Prime Minister Indira Gandhi gave the impression that India will never start a military intervention in Bangladesh. And as you know, while India was preparing for the military intervention, it was Pakistan that started the hostilities by bombing Indian aircraft, park Indian aircraft, you see, on the 3rd of December. Okay. Then the war started. And as you know, it ended only on the 16th of December. And I want to tell you something. America wanted a resolution passed in the Security Council 
immediate end of hostility, ceasefire. But the Soviet Union vetoed it. And then Pakistanis told us through America that they wanted to surrender, but we didn't accept it. We said, listen, if they want to surrender, they should tell us directly. And Soren Singh, the foreign minister, he spoke nonstop for almost seven hours at the Security Council to give enough time for the Indian Army to make Pakistan surrender. Finally, Foreign Minister concluded his speech only when he got a little sheet of paper saying that Pakistan has asked for surrender in writing. And then you know what he did? Saran Singh called Tiki Call, Foreign Secretary. Okay. And I don't want you or any Indian diplomat to go anywhere near the bar for the next 48 hours. Okay. I don't want you to be seen as drinking in public. Then he said, you should also project the impression that we did not enjoy having this war. It was imposed on us. But okay. once we are in the war, we have to win. You know, and we won. But we are not very happy about it, that there was a war. That is a true diplomat and great statesman that Sorensi was. And since I am in Punjab, in Chandigarh, I thought I will say a word about Sorensi. That is so fantastic. That is absolutely brilliant. Now, um, India did have a war with Pakistan. India did have a war going on with China. But uh, we also kind of sent our troops to help other nations as well. When it came to Sri Lanka, when it came to Bangladesh, what happened with the coup in Maldives? How did India, uh, you know, fit into that mold when the coup happened in Maldives? What happened was that uh, some uh, elements, they wanted to stage a coup in Maldives and the president ran away. And uh, he was able to get in touch with us uh, through telephone. And uh, Rajiv Gandhi was the prime minister and uh, India took action. And the Indian military went there and uh, those who have staged the coup, they ran away. In other words, India took appropriate military action at the right time, without any hesitation, and was able to sort of make the those who staged the coup run away. We caught them also, but point is the coup was foiled. So that was an act of you know using military force for upholding democracy. Then in right. Anka, there was a you know, pact between Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi and President Jayavardhani of Sri Lanka. Well, I personally think, looking back, it was the wrong thing. Rajiv Gandhi signed an agreement about how a third party, LTTE, the, you know, the Tamil extremists, how they should behave. Now, neither Rajiv Gandhi nor Jayavardhani had control over the third party. So you and I cannot sign an agreement about the behavior of a third party over which we have no control. All right, true. Then Jayavardhane begged Rajiv Gandhi for military force. We sent the military force and we fought the LTTE. There was a civil war. Then after Jayavardhane, uh, there was another prime minister and he asked uh, uh, the Indian military to withdraw and all that. You see? 
So that was not a very wise decision. But anyway, that happened. And we have to learn from the past. True. True. All right. So all in all, everybody now in the political circuit is talking about the 1917 war and how our prime minister was a part of it or there are discussions about that. So what do we learn from that? And what is the relevance of that in today's scenario? I'll put it this way. We should uh, engage in war only when it is absolutely necessary. And the important thing to recognize about the 71 war was that uh, while Indira Gandhi was a daughter of Jawaharlal Nehru, I consider her as a granddaughter of Chanakya. Because in 71, there was an axis between Pakistan, China, and the United States. And India was alone. Therefore, Indira Gandhi signed a treaty of friendship and cooperation with the Soviet Union, counterbalancing. United States sent its enterprise, you know, huge uh, aircraft carrier to frighten us, you know, when the war was going on. But we didn't get frightened. And the Soviet Navy followed the enterprise. And enterprise had to withdraw. So it is important to sort of, you know, balance the forces, which she did. Something which we failed to do in 62, you know, when China attacked us, well, the United States did give us some help, but not much, you know. So the forces have to be balanced. Otherwise, there will be war. This was a great free lecture that happened between Professor Fabian and the dummy Aniket. I hope that we all learned something or the other from this. I learned a couple of things. Number one being that preemptive celebrations are always bad. No matter whether we win or lose, uh, celebrating a war shall never be justified. Second is that always remember the enemy of your enemy is your friend. That is very, very important. That's a very important lesson that we learned today. Thank you so much, Fabian, for giving us this beautiful free period. And uh, we'll come back next week with a brand new episode and learn something more about politics. Thank you. I enjoyed it, but I don't see any dummy anywhere. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you, Fabian. Bye-bye. This was a Radio 1 production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast.